Moses tells her the hour is fast coming when the place of worship will be inconsequential because God is spirit and any place can become a holy place, a thin place, even this place. And that's our hope, that as we engage with these meditations, this place might become a thin place. Welcome to a Thin Place Podcast with Dr. Larry Taylor. Happy holidays. My name is Mike Young, and as I record this, it's early Christmas morning. The stockings are still hung by the fireplace. The gifts are still under the tree. It's a cold 18 degrees outside, but unfortunately no snow. The coffee is hot and strong. My feet are propped up in in my favorite chair on what is my very favorite morning of the year. It has been since I was a child, eagerly running into the room to see what Santa had delivered. It's only increased as we've had our children. It's remained my favorite to this day. I was supposed to have this podcast all done to drop into your feed at 12 midnight. Every Friday, that's the plan. But this edition is dropping just a bit late. You know how the holidays are. Well, they usually are. 2020 has been just a bit different. However, my two boys are home, and knock on wood, we're all healthy. We cooked a wonderful Christmas Eve dinner last night. Spent some time around the dinner table playing cards and just being together. As we went to bed last night, I remembered that I had not yet put the podcast to bed. That's the nature of these holidays for me. I've been able to push work to the side and focus on things right here under my roof. I've listened or read very minimal news. I have a couple of very good books I'm tag reading, picking up whichever one happens to be in my reach, rather than searching out news. It's been a welcome repose from the noise of politics and markets and, and well, even from pandemics. Full disclosure, this has been the first Advent season I've recognized in about three years. And this series of meditations has been truly life-giving for me. It really has been a time toward home. I'll say also that our sermon for this episode might be my favorite. I didn't have the emotional tug. It didn't have the emotional tug that a lump in the throat did. And in some ways, I wished I had the opportunity to listen to it after the holiday was completely finished. But the calendar doesn't stop turning. The real world will be intruding quickly. The boys will return to their lives in other cities, and my life will continue here. I'll not say much more to set things up, no spoilers. However, I hope you'll be listening for the different responses to this season that Larry calls our attention to. We've all just taken a journey to Christmas morning, but tomorrow we begin to return to normal. And our responses to the season we've just experienced all occur in the time being. 
twas the week after Christmas, and all through the house and the heart and the soul, very little was stirring. And everywhere the question was the same. What do we do now? And where do we go from Bethlehem? W.H. Auden helps bring us back to earth. Now we must dismantle the tree, putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes, some have got broken, and carrying them up into the attic. The holly and the mistletoe must be taken down and burnt, and the children got ready for school. There are enough leftovers warmed up for the rest of the week. Walking away from the charm of Bethlehem is never easy. Remember how hard it was when you were a child to go back to school after the Christmas holiday, endless weeks and months stretching out in front of you before spring. And don't you still find it much easier to put the tree up than to take it down? I can tell you haven't done it yet, have you? The days immediately after Christmas can be a tremendous emotional and spiritual come down that leave us asking, now what do we do? Christmas has come and gone again, and if the newspapers and the media have it right, the world still looks suspiciously the same as before. The magical days of December before Christmas were so full of excitement and secrets and parties and activities that we scarcely noticed how fast the time was passing. But pass it did. And time after Christmas can be an altogether different thing. The routine begins to settle back on us. Time slows down as we return to work and responsibility, and Auden speaks for all of us when he says, the streets are much narrower than we remembered, and we had forgotten the office was as depressing as this. The heart can be an empty place after the merriment's over, and we have to ask ourselves honestly, is anything, anything at all really different because we made the trip to Bethlehem? The time after Christmas is time in its more normal mode, the time being we sometimes call it. The time being can be a dreadful time if the heart or the mind or the spirit has retained nothing from Advent. Before Christmas, with just a little imagination, we could put ourselves briefly into a world of shepherds and wise men and prophets and virgin mothers. But now, after Christmas, the world is stark and real once again, and even our faith may have to struggle for new footing. Of course, we're not the only ones, or even the first ones, to face the days after Christmas. The first Christmas also came and went, and the time being returned, 
if there's anything at all to be learned from the Christmas people involved in the original Christmas about how to deal with the days after all the excitement, then we need to hear it. The shepherds of Bethlehem had been totally surprised by the choir of angels. They rushed into Bethlehem to see they knew not what. And then later that same evening, the shepherds returned. They returned, as shepherds always must, because the sheep are all alone, and duty calls and predatory animals threaten the flocks. After one evening's diversion, including a choir of angels and a trip into town, the shepherds did return. But they did not return as the same people who had left. They had departed their cold, barren plains full of fear and not a little curious about what was happening, but we read that they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's a pretty good Christmas that sets us praising and glorifying God. To be able to return to the same old place transformed after Christmas is the gift of faith. Only those who make the journey to Bethlehem, at least in spirit, are able to do that. Now the shepherds, too, could praise God, just like the angels. For the shepherds, this single unforgettable night was inspiration enough to fuel their witness and to give them courage for a new life in an old place. The time being itself had been redeemed, and they were able to return to work praising God. Oh, to be a shepherd. But for sheer distance traveled that first Christmas, no one could rival the wise men. They came from the distant east, and they brought news to Herod's Jerusalem, news that troubled all the city. Where is he who is born the king of the Jews, they asked, for we have seen his star in the east. Herod himself was not a little interested in their question. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Evil is threatened any time innocence appears. Wise men, though they were, they could not possibly yet have known how sinister, how odious this old fox of a king was. And Herod told them, to return to him after locating the new king that he too might come and worship him. It ought never to derail wise men or women to encounter evil and innocence on the same journey or in the same place. The wheat and the tares grow in the same fields, the sheep and the wolves live in the countryside together. On the road to discovery, the wise men stop by the seed of power just long enough to catch a whiff of evil. T.S. Eliot's wonderful poem, Journey of the Magi, portrays one of the wise men 
in his old age, reminiscing, remembering his journey years before to follow the star. All of this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again. But set down this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation. When the wise men finally found the infant Christ, then they knew. They knew that evil has nothing to do with good, that they could never simply be at ease again. And having worshipped the Christ, they returned home by another way and avoided Herod. Down through the years in post-Christmas meditations, this phrase from Matthew, Matthew's gospel sticks in the mind, home by another way. Barbara Brown Taylor has this wonderful sermon in which she imagines that none of the wise men had known the others until they undertook their mutual journey. Something beyond beckoned them. And besides, she says, they were all glad for a reason to get out of town for a while. And so they set out, each believing he was the only one with a star in his eye until they all ran into one another on the road to Jerusalem. But on the return trip, they went home by another way, avoiding Jerusalem and avoiding King Herod. And Barbara Taylor adds almost parenthetically, besides, none of their old maps worked anymore. To attempt to return by the same old ways is to deny what we have learned and experienced. When faith truly makes the long journey to Bethlehem, it becomes as gentle as the dove, but also as wise as the serpent. So the wise men went home by another way. Christmas does that for us. Christmas opens up all kinds of new possibilities. Why, there are as many routes home as there are pilgrims, as many ways as the inventive minds of men and women who have seen the Christ can possibly imagine. Faithful and wise travelers often find themselves on a different way. Why, we could call it a road less traveled if we dared. For other people, that first Christmas came to them. In Jerusalem, there lived an old man named Simeon. He was one of those people who stayed near the temple, probably visiting there daily. There were some people, it seems, who are just born for the temple. There are people who can never feel completely at home anywhere else. Simeon is called by Luke 
righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. He lived expectantly in anticipation of God's next move in the world. And Luke also tells us how he was able to live in this manner. The Holy Spirit was upon him. The same spirit that had recently come upon a young Jewish maiden named Mary, unknown to Simeon, was also upon him. And this Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until his eyes beheld the Lord's Christ. So Simeon lived day by day safe in the promise of God and alert to the movements of the Spirit. On the day the infant Jesus was brought by his parents to the temple to be dedicated, the Holy Spirit inspired Simeon to come up into the temple and when Jesus' parents brought him in, Simeon saw them and greeted them and taking the young infant up in his arms, he blessed God and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation. We could call it a lesson before dying if we dared. Simeon represents all of those who wait patiently for the Lord. Such people are ready for the coming of Christ. They know it means change in the days after Christmas when the time being returns full force and settles in. But having seen God's salvation, they're able to put themselves into God's hands for whatever lies ahead. In that same city of Jerusalem, there lived an elderly woman named Anna, a prophetess. She's one of those people who had a direct line to the Lord, the kind of people you want praying for you when you've got a problem. She was 84 years old. And she didn't depart from the temple, we read, but she lived a devout life of prayer and fasting. She too came into the temple at the very hour the infant Jesus and his parents arrived. She gave thanks to God. She witnessed to everyone she knew who, like herself and Simeon, was expecting the redemption of Israel. In the days after Christmas, such people find fresh strength for living because they've seen the love of God. But not everyone in Jerusalem saw such things or wanted to see them. In Jerusalem lived all kinds of people with all sorts of interests, among them King Herod, whose interests were all self-interests and for whom the birth of a new king was threatening. Herod had been troubled from the time the wise men first came through town. The birth of a new king brought no comfort to Herod's heart. Herod represents everything sinister and evil in the world, organized crime, the drug cartels, street gangs, terrorism, injustice. 
After Christmas, evil doesn't just fold its tents and slip away. Evil intensifies in the days after Christmas. It can't bear to share the world with goodness. And it will not permit us who have so recently been to Bethlehem to be naive about the time being. And again, W.H. Auden describes this time being. The Christmas feast is already a fading memory and already the mind begins to be vaguely aware of an unpleasant whiff of apprehension at the thought of Lent and Good Friday, which cannot, after all now, be very far off. Good Friday is never very far off. Its shadow already hovers over Bethlehem because nearby in the city, a wicked old man starts to realize that he's been outfoxed by wise men. Evil tricked goes into rage and kills and maims and destroys innocence anywhere it can. And so Herod, in his furious anger, sent to Bethlehem and killed all the young male children, leaving the streets in blood and tears as mothers wept over the bodies of their babies. The world is still very real after Christmas, and hate is strong, and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men, to those who have seen the child, however dimly, however incredulously, the time being is, in a sense, the most trying time of all for the innocent children who whispered so excitedly outside the locked door where they knew the presence to be, grew up when it opened. In the time before Christmas, it's easy to see the movements of God toward the earth, brightly colored lights, beautiful music, choirs, starry-eyed children all keep the image of God's approach to us real and focused and alive. But in the days after Christmas, in this time being, Faith has to read the subtle things. Faith has to find comfort in places where no angels are singing and where wise men are sometimes not even to be found. In the days after Christmas, the first thing we begin to notice is that not everyone has made the trip to Bethlehem or been transformed by its vision. Evil is still strong. But thank God, faith also discovers in the days after Christmas that God is not dead, nor does he sleep. Joseph, the forgotten man of Christmas, has a dream. And in his dream, God directs him to take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. There was so much happening that first Christmas so much to consider and to think about. And that, of course, is what a mother does best. 
In the days after Christmas, the wonder of it all increases for Mary, who, Luke tells us, kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. For those who are able to do it, that may be the best response of all to the birth of Christ, to ponder it in the heart, in the mind, so that its wonder becomes mystery and its mystery washes over our troubled time being with its charm and its peace. In the meantime, of course, there are bills to be paid, machines to keep in repair, irregular verbs to learn, the time being to redeem from insignificance. The happy morning is over. The night of agony still to come. The time is noon when the spirit must practice his scales of rejoicing without even a hostile audience. And the soul endure a silence that is neither for nor against her faith that God's will will be done, that in spite of her prayers, God will cheat no one, not even the world, of its triumph. Twas the week after Christmas, and for people of faith, there's a new option to live within the time being as people who have seen a great light and who have decided they will redeem all things from insignificance. Some of us will be able to return to fields of work and duty, praising and glorifying God for all we've seen and heard and been told. Others will grow in wisdom, resolving to return home by another way. Because the world remains a place of evil and danger. Some will find that their years of devout attention to the spirit and to the temple will be rewarded by a vision of God's arrival. And still others, no doubt, we'll have dreams in the time being warning us to be cautious. And a few, perhaps, will even be able to keep all of these things in our hearts, pondering them, pondering them, as the wonder of Christmas transforms our lives day by day. And as we remember, it was a time toward home. Shall we pray? For the way we have walked together in recent weeks, Lord, we give you thanks. For the people we met along the road, we are grateful for the experiences, the warmth of it, the thrill of it, the company. We express our gratitude. And then for safe arrival, 
the privilege of kneeling with others in the straw manger, the wonder of the star above us, and all the things that we heard and saw by candlelight. Now, Lord, we're on our way home. The year is old and the year is new. We are bound for places north and south and east and west. Only God knows what the future holds in this coming year. And so we pray. We pray for our world. We pray for our leaders. We pray for those who have great responsibilities and who sit in high places. We pray for their anguish. We pray for their wisdom. We pray for their courage. We pray for their patience. And we pray for ourselves. Because we follow into a new year the same one whose star we followed to Bethlehem. And we do believe it will be for us all the days of this new year a time toward home. Our prayer is offered in the name of the Lord of Christmas, who, in our heart, now helps us redeem the time. Amen. For the time being, this meditation struck a deep chord in me. One of those deep bass-nosed chords. You know the ones. Those that are played on the pedal board of a great pipe organ. It's a chord that, quite frankly, I'm still processing. As I heard Larry review the responses to the events of Bethlehem that we find in the Christian scriptures, I recognized something with which I was infected when I was a Southern Baptist, and it still lurks beneath the surface of my thinking. I was taught that there was only one correct response to Jesus. It's not difficult to see that this simply isn't true. There are as many responses to Jesus as there are humans created in God's image. We see this in these stories that Larry just shared. We see this in Jesus' teachings and journeys with his disciples. Frankly, we see this in our own lives here in the time being. I'm coming to believe that rather than contorting myself to someone else's idea of a correct response, maybe I should simply respond myself. As I record this closing, it's the day after Christmas. Gifts have been opened. Christmas meals have been consumed. Zoom calls have been made to family scattered across the country. And I find myself again in my favorite chair thinking about, well, the, the time being. The time being that I have opportunity to redeem from insignificance. I have a friend, Jim Palmer, whom I've come to know since I left vocational ministry. He was once employed as one of the pastors in a megachurch that you would all know if I named it. He's written this in one of his books and on a post that I read this week. He writes, I once dreamed of launching revolutions, sparking movements, 
mobilizing the masses and changing everything. Now I've learned the beauty and profound significance of simply loving my neighbor. This also struck a deep and harmonious note within me as I thought about our meditation for this week. The beauty and profound significance of simply loving my neighbor. A lawyer once asked Jesus who is my neighbor. He was seeking to narrow this down to specifics. Who specifically are we to love? Jesus responded by saying it wasn't a noun to be specified. A neighbor is one who responds to the other as a neighbor with love. Redeeming the time being from insignificance by responding to the other in the love of the Christ. That really does feel like a way to redeem the time being. And it does seem as though my old maps aren't working anymore. Maybe I'll continue this time toward home by another way. I hope you've all enjoyed our time toward home this Advent season. If you have any thoughts on what we've heard, I would love for you to share those with us at thinplacepodcast at gmail.com. Also, if there's any interest, I was thinking about creating a Facebook group in which we might be able to discuss these meditations and maybe redeem that space from the noise we often find there. The podcast is available to stream on all the regular platforms. Rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice and share it on your social media. And as always, I'm so thankful for Larry for the prayerful and artful work he put into this series and for all that he and Linda have meant to us for so many years. Next week, we're going to take a break and then we'll return in a new year on January 8th with a new edition of A Thin Place with Dr. Larry Taylor. Until then, I'm Mike Young. Happy New Year. Grace and peace.